Wireless headphones. That'll be $200. I'll use my Capital One Quicksilver card. Now that's a hit. You used the Capital One Quicksilver card, which makes you the hero of every purchase. With Quicksilver, you earn unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase everywhere. I wanted running music, but unlimited 1.5% cash back is pretty heroic. Good instincts. Every hero needs a theme song. The Capital One Quicksilver card. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Welcome back to the Great Unsolved Podcast. I'm your host, Alexis, and this week we are looking at the case of missing 22-month-year-old Ayla Reynolds. This case happened in 2011. If you don't already, follow me on Twitter at Great Unsolved, on Instagram at Great Unsolved Pod. You can look up Great Unsolved on Facebook, find our Facebook group, and our Facebook page. This is also a video on YouTube if you would rather watch a video and listen to a podcast. You can find that at Alexis Ruberg on YouTube, or it's the little at sign, Alexis True Crime. You can also look on TikTok and Instagram, where I have shorter versions of different cases. Without further ado, let's get into the case of missing 22-month-year-old Ayla Reynolds. We are going to talk about the case of missing 22-month-year-old Ayla Reynolds. She went missing from her father's home in Waterville, Maine on either December 16th of 2011 or December 17th of 2011. She was officially reported missing on December 17th of 2011. Today, she has been missing for over 11 years and she was declared dead in 2017. The judge who did this stated that she most likely died the day she went missing, or soon thereafter. Ayla was born on April 4th of 2010 to Trista Reynolds and Justin DiPietro. She had blonde hair and blue eyes, and when she went missing, she was wearing a green onesie with pink polka dots, and it said Daddy's Princess on the chest area of it. A little bit before Ayla went missing, her mother had a second child with her then-fiancé, and it said that Ayla really loved her brother, her younger brother, she was very attentive and very sweet with him. So we have to go over a little bit of background in this case about the family dynamics and some CPS stuff before we can get into the timeline of her actual disappearance. So it's stated that Justin and Trista knew each other for a pretty long time, but they had really no established relationship. Ayla was on plan, and when they had her, Justin actually didn't even believe it was his child. He wanted to put Ayla up for adoption, but Trista was not having that. When Ayla was born, the first thing Trista said was, oh my god, she looks just like Justin, but still, he did not believe it was his child until they got a paternity test that proved it. It's reported that Justin only started having visitations and seeing Ayla a lot in 2011, in mid-2011, and Ayla disappeared at the end of 2011, so it's a little bit of an odd timeline. Trista seemed to have an unspoken full custody agreement with Justin, 
I don't believe it was legal, but Trista had her pretty much all the time. On October 13th of 2011, CPS basically told Trista that she could either get rid of her addiction, her substance abuse addiction, or she would lose her children. So at this time, she voluntarily went into a 10-day rehab. Said she really loved her children. She did not want to have them taken away. So she was willing to do this intensive rehab to get over her addiction issues. At this time, Trista gave both of her children to her sister and her mother. Some places say it was just her sister, but other places say it was her sister and her mother. On October 17th of 2011, Justin, with the help of his mother, talked to some CPS officials and basically, it said that they lied to the CPS officials, but they did get clearance to go take Ayla from Trista's sister. It said that Justin's mother was actually the one who called CPS and got the permission to go take Ayla. So CPS called Trista's sister and basically said, you have to surrender Ayla. She protested this. She did not want to do this. So eventually, Justin and his mother got a police escort to the sister's home in order to go pick up Ayla. Upon going to the home, Trista's sister still protested it very much. She said that Justin was abusive, and often when Trista got Ayla back from Justin, she would notice bruises, bumps, but Justin would always have a story for it. The officer, Officer Weaver, noted that Ayla was happy, playing, talkative, until she saw her father. When she saw her father, she began crying and tried to run into a different room. It was obvious she did not want to go with him. However, Officer Weaver had no say in this decision. He said if he did, he would not have given Ayla to Justin. So Justin brought Ayla to where he lived with his mother, his sister, and his sister's child. It was a small home where Justin lived in the partially finished basement, and Ayla would live on the first floor. Trista ended up staying in rehab, but it said she called every day, and from what she heard on the phone, it seemed like everything was going okay now that Justin had Ayla. On October 20th of 2011, Trista, her sister, their attorney, two doctors, three CPS workers, and then Justin by phone had a meeting. In this meeting, it was decided that once Trista got out of rehab, in just two days, she would take Ayla back. However, Justin did not pay attention to this agreement. Justin ended up just keeping Ayla, and Trista tried to get CPS involved, but they really weren't any help. So eventually, she kind of gave in. She said, okay, you can have full custody of Ayla if I can have visitation. And this just seems like a ploy on her part to at least try and see her daughter while she was trying to get legal custody of her again. In November of 2011, Ayla is taken to the hospital by Justin and it's found she has a broken arm. I believe it was broken right above the elbow. And when asked how she got this, Justin said he was holding her outside and it was raining, so it was slippery and he fell and ended up landing on her. The night it happened, he thought she was okay, but the next morning he realized she really did need to go to the hospital, which isn't really odd in itself. That can happen where you don't realize it till the next morning. 
because maybe Ayla just started playing again. So the story of how she broke her arm could be plausible, but with everything we know about Justin and his relationship with Ayla, it just doesn't seem like that is what happened. November 21st of 2011 was the last day that Trista saw Ayla. So we can kind of get into the actual timeline now. In the days and weeks leading up to Ayla's disappearance, Justin made all the excuses possible to not let Trista see Ayla and really not even let her call Ayla. On December 15th of 2011, Trista filed for full custody of Ayla. On December 16th of 2011, around 8 p.m., it said that Justin put Ayla to sleep and then went down to his bedroom, which was a floor below hers in the partially finished basement. Apparently, around 10 p.m., Justin's sister checked on Ayla and everything was fine. The people in that home that night were Justin, Ayla, Justin's girlfriend, her child, Justin's sister, and her child. Originally, Justin's mother told the media that she was home and that was found out to be a lie, but apparently she had been open with police and police knew from the start she had not been home that night. Still kind of odd she lied to media about that, but it's important to know who was in the home that night. On December 17th, 2011, at 8.49 a.m., Justin calls 911 to report Ayla missing. He was asked when he last saw Ayla, and he said, quote, When I put her to bed last night, my sister checked on her, woke up this morning, went to a room, and she's not there. End quote. Supposedly after this, Justin's phone died, but he called back right after. And I guess during the 911 call, his phone died or they got disconnected about three times. Seemed like every phone in the home was not working well. Justin was also asked if he thought it was possible that Ayla could have climbed out of her crib. And he said, quote, No, ma'am. She, there's no way she could have got, there's no way she could, end quote. So he figured right away Ayla did not climb out of her crib and then out of the house on her own. Justin stated he believed that Ayla had to have been taken, which makes sense if a 22-month-old got out of their crib, they probably wouldn't get out of the house. And if they did get out of the house, they would probably be found in very extensive searches like happened in Ayla's case. At 6 a.m., Trista was in the car with her future father-in-law, her fiancé's dad, and they were traveling to Mechiasport, Maine from Portland, Maine. It was about a three-hour drive because her fiancé was in prison in Mechiasport. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but they were going to visit him, and this was at about 6 a.m. Later, Justin would tell officials they should look into Trista because if you're going from Portland, Maine to Mechiasport, Maine, you go straight through Waterville, which is where Ayla and Justin were and where Ayla supposedly disappeared from. Trista was asleep when her father called and her future father-in-law answered the phone and Trista's father said, you know, Ayla's missing, but you don't have to stop yet. You can keep driving. Don't worry about waking her up. I'll call you back when we get more information. Shortly after, he called again told the future father-in-law that he should pull over, wake Trista up, and head back. So Trista got on the phone once she was woken up and 
she is told at this time that her daughter is missing. Justin told police that when Ayla was last seen at 10 p.m. on December 16th, she was wearing the green onesie with pink polka dots and that said, Daddy's Princess. So police began searching right away. This obviously isn't one of those cases where police are like, it could be a runaway because she's a year old. So police were very quick to act and they started searching early that morning. On December 18th of 2011, a nearby stream was searched with both experienced cadaver dogs and another qualified dog, but nothing was found. Apparently, they searched quite a few different waterways around the main area and really found nothing. On December 19th of 2011, the FBI was brought in. This was pretty quick because it was just two days after Ayla disappeared. At this time, the Maine State Police took two cars from the home that Ayla supposedly disappeared from. We have Justin's car and then Justin's girlfriend's car. It seems that a bit before the cars were taken, the police department took control of the home and started investigating it as a crime scene. On December 20th of 2011, Justin talks to the media. Not sure if this is the first time he talks to the media, but it is probably the most notable. He says, quote, I have no idea what happened to Ayla or who is responsible. I will not make accusations or insinuations towards anyone until the police have been able to prove who's responsible for this. We will do everything we can to assist in this investigation and get Ayla back home. I have shared every piece of information with the police. So it seems like at this point, he knows there's suspicion mounting on him because he was the parent that Ayla was with when she supposedly disappeared. On December 27th of 2011, police announced that they have completely ruled out the idea that Ayla crawled out of her crib and crawled out of the house. This is probably due to the extremely extensive searches they've done and found nothing of Ayla. She would not have been able to get that far on her own. On December 30th of 2011, police announced that foul play is suspected in the case. Four to six weeks after the disappearance, police announced a bombshell in the case. They say, quote, more than a cup of Ayla's blood was found in the DiPietro home. And there was a very strong smell of bleach. So on the car seat in Justin's car on the left shoulder strap, there was blood found as well as dried vomit in the back seat. There was blood found on Ayla's slippers that were put on the floor next to her crib. One of her baby dolls was smeared with a good amount of blood. The living room couch cushion had a pretty large spot of blood on it. And there was a fist-sized stain slash pool of blood in the middle of Justin's mattress. There was also vomit found on the mattress. Justin's shoes that were next to the bed also had blood on the inside of them. The walls and floors had quite a bit of blood splatter that was said to be at the height of Ayla, and police concluded this had to have been from blunt force trauma or projectile vomiting. There were also wood pallets leaning against the wall that had the same blood spatter on them. Lastly, in the basement, there was a blue bin found with blood on it, and this blue bin contained a blood-soaked sheet that police would later say was mostly likely used to clean up quite a bit of blood. Because of all this blood and the different patterns of it, police say that this probably came from both internal and external injuries to Ayla because it was all confirmed to be her blood, which is quite a bit of blood for a 22-month-old child. However, when asked, Justin's family had an answer for this. They said it was due to Ayla's lactose intolerance, 
which does not add up. And if she was throwing up this much blood, they should have taken her to the hospital anyway. Despite being reportedly the largest search in Maine's history, really nothing was found. It was just the blood and vomit found inside the home. So we can move on to theories. We have basically three theories. One, Ayla left on her own. Two, there was a stranger abduction or murder. And three, Justin did something. He could have killed her. He could have arranged an illegal adoption. We don't know. It's all alleged at this point. So if we look at the stranger abduction or murder, Justin maintains that this is what happened. And most of his family is, it seems, on board with this theory as well. However, there's really no evidence of it. And Ayla hasn't been seen, her body hasn't been found since she went missing over 11 years ago. Another thing kind of pointing away from this is that there were three adults in the home that night. Justin, his girlfriend, and his sister. It was said to be a pretty small house, so you would think if some random person came in, somebody would notice, and it seems that no one noticed anything odd that night. Justin and his girlfriend were in the basement, but Justin's sister and her child were on the same level as Ayla, so you would think she definitely would have noticed something. We also know that statistically, children are most often abducted or killed by people they know. It always goes to the parents first and then other members of the family. Statistically, stranger abductions do not happen that often. It was also reported that Ayla did not usually sleep through the night. So the fact that Justin put her to bed at 8 p.m. and did not check on her for about 12 hours doesn't make much sense. Even Justin's sister checked on her at 10 p.m., but then nobody checked on her for 10 hours. If she's not sleeping through the night, you would probably want to check on her more often, especially if it's thought that she could crawl out of a crib on her own. Then we move to Justin or maybe other family being involved in Ayla's disappearance. This could be murder, illegal adoption, or a number of other things. Like I just said, Justin didn't personally check on Ayla for over 12 hours, which doesn't make much sense. It's also reported that Justin actually drove to Portland, Maine and back home before reporting Ayla missing. Apparently, he saw that Ayla was not in her bed, drove to Portland to see if Trista had her, even though Trista was not there, and then drove back home and reported her missing, which this is a pretty big time span when you're talking about a missing child, and he definitely could have not driven all the way to Portland and gone somewhere else to dispose of a body. Just a few weeks before Ayla's disappearance, Justin actually took out a $25,000 life insurance policy on her, which a lot of people think when it's this close to a disappearance, it is pretty sketchy. Maybe he was trying to just get money but not have a child anymore. And it could mean that, or it could be completely unrelated. Obviously, quite a bit of blood was found in the home. We have it in Ayla's bedroom, we have it in the living room, have it all over the basement, in Justin's car, and on the inside of his shoes, which means he couldn't have just stepped in, like, her vomit or blood at another time. It had to have been put on the inside of the shoes initially. And also, there was no real explanation of this. They did say it was due to lactose intolerance, but generally... That's not what's going to happen with even severe lactose intolerance. 
And if it did, they should have brought her to the hospital. There was really no excuse for letting your almost two-year-old throw up this much blood and not bringing her somewhere. Justin's mother initially lied to the media and said she was home that night when she really wasn't. I don't know if this was to try and provide more of an alibi for Justin or if she just said it for an unknown reason, but it's a little sketchy when the stories change. When Trista went to declare Ayla dead, Justin had moved out to California and he was served with court summons. When he was asked, are you Justin DiPietro? He said no and kind of just ignored the whole court thing altogether. So the last theory is Ayla getting out of the house on her own, which was an initial theory, but police have pretty much said this is not a theory anymore, which due to the extensive searches, you probably would have found her body or at least a piece of fabric or something along those lines by now. It's not that plausible to think that a child who's not even two could get out of an entire home without being noticed or just in general. So in September of 2017, Trista filed to have Ayla declared legally dead. Like I said, Justin was found in California, but denied being the father, denied being himself when he was served with papers. There was a 30 minute hearing and the judge decided that he would declare Ayla legally dead. He stated that Ayla probably died around the date she went missing, right around December 17th of 2011. He said either shortly before that day or shortly after. So that is it for the case of Ayla Reynolds. And if you have any information in that case, you should call the police at 207-680-4700. Thank you for looking at the case of Ayla Reynolds with me. It is a sad one, but most likely she is not around anymore. She wouldn't have been able to get out on her own, and that is very sad for the family. If you don't already, follow me on YouTube. Look up at Alexis True Crime. You can also look that up on TikTok and Instagram. There are shorts on those as well. Follow us at Great Unsolved on Twitter at Great Unsolved Pod on Instagram, and you can search Great Unsolved on Facebook and find a Facebook group and a Facebook page. Thank you for going over the case with me and have a safe rest of your week. time starts with a great wardrobe next stop jc penny family get-togethers to fancy occasions wedding season too we do it all in style dresses suiting and plenty of color to play with get fixed up with brands like liz claiborne worthington stafford and jay farrar oh and thereabouts for kids super cute and extra affordable check out the latest in store and we're never short on options at jcp.com all dressed up everywhere to go jc penny